Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, founders of a wonderfully tasty, nutritious, healthy, and texturally unique protein bar that's more like a candy bar. And if you use promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com, you can get $10 off your first order. Again, that's a cheeky $10 off your first order with promo code LOCKEDON. On tonight's episode, we are going to be covering some more draft stuff. And in this case, the probably another five prospects from this upcoming 2020 class. Uh, basically, again, with my live reactions. Um, but before we kind of get into all that stuff, I wanted to go over two quick things. And the first thing I wanted to say is if you have not yet listened to the Black Lives Matter uh, and, and George Floyd reaction uh, roundtable that I posted yesterday, be sure to check that out. A number of our friends and family from the Locked On Network actually hosted this roundtable and they gave some really, I, I would say, incredible thoughts, feelings, and really good discussion on this whole issue, as well as ways that we can engage with it and work to help solve some of these problems. It's definitely a longer episode and very emotionally heavy, but I think it's something that for me is very personally important. Um, I, I live in Baltimore, so I saw firsthand what happened when the Freddie Gray riots occurred, and I, I, I've seen you know, my own community lash out in, in anguish and pain over years and years of mistreatment, and uh, you know, obviously we've had a lot of police corruption in our city. And, you know, the black community here has always been really struggling to find a place, which is crazy to say for a minority-majority city, but we've kind of seen in Baltimore a lot of gentrification and really uh, lower-income neighborhoods kind of being pushed to the margins. And so I feel like a lot of what's happened is, is especially relevant for Baltimore. Um, and we've, we've definitely gone through a lot of the same issues of police brutality and oppression of minorities, whether it's, you know, systemic racism or more day-to-day -day stuff that you find just kind of talking with your neighbors. And so there's a lot of different layers to this issue. And this roundtable did a really great job of, of talking around a lot of this and trying to get at some of the core matters that we all need to really educate ourselves on and understand more so that we can help contribute for when the time to fight comes. And the time to fight is actually here right now, but for some folks, we're still kind of, you know, getting them up to speed. So again, be sure to check that out. It is the episode before this one, and it has a special title just because it's a little bit different than our usual show. And then I guess the second thing I wanted to talk about um, was a little bit more, I guess, normal hockey stuff. Uh, I know that <laughs> I think hockey for a lot of us is kind of on the back burner, but we are kind of getting up onto the NHL training camps pretty soon in the next couple of weeks. And I thought, you know, we're also kind of getting up on NHL award season. Of the awards that are out there, I know that uh, I think Winnipeg has had a couple of nominees, but I think the most important one for us is going to be the Vezina Trophy. And this one is a sort of an interesting discussion because I've seen a couple of different arguments for a few different players. Now, one of the most interesting ones is from somebody named Paul Campbell. And if you've never seen Paul's work, he does extraordinarily great stuff on goaltending, goalie theory, uh, technique, results, and, and data-driven analysis of the goaltending position. You can find his work at way to go Paul on Twitter, and uh, I think he writes for In Goal Magazine, so be sure to check him out. There's some really cool stuff there, and he always does really great work. And his article actually posited that maybe Jacob Markstrom is somebody who deserves a Vezina over the rest of this class, including, uh, of course, Connor Hellebuck, Tuka Rosk, and a few other guys. Markstrom's argument is kind of interesting because Jacob had very difficult work, similar to the fact that the you know, Winnipeg's defense and Vancouver's defense are not particularly good. 
Now, where it kind of gets really interesting is when you sort of look at the patterning of how Markstrom had to make his saves. On the one hand, Hellebuck definitely, in raw goals above replacement and sheer volume of, of high-quality chances, has the edge uh, over Markstrom. But there's an argument for Jacob that's kind of interesting, and it's that he had to deal with a lot of cross-crease movement and a situation in Vancouver which was a little bit more chaotic in some ways where, you know, Winnipeg's defense, I think, you know, it, it was very bad, of course, and they surrendered tons of chances, but they were able to funnel it from a couple of key locations. With Vancouver, it looks, if you look at their shot uh, scoring chance against heat map, the, the chances are a little more scattered and a little bit more diversified, which could make uh, Markstrom's workload very difficult. That lack of centralization of chances against might be why there is an argument for Markstrom, but I think, in my case, I'm probably still backing Hellebuck. I think Hellebuck overall just had so much work to do, and the fact that he has carried this team over such a large volume of games pretty much stamps it for me. Now, and that's not to say that this this analysis of Markstrom is wrong. I actually think that there's a pretty good argument for it. But I'd also have to kind of look at the fact that Hellebuck definitely has played more minutes, and his overall sterling, uh, I, I guess on, on paper, his stats are just ridiculous for the season. And I just feel like Given the situation of where Winnipeg is at, and the fact that they would more than likely be a lottery team if Hellebuck was not a net, or struggling at all, I don't know, I, I feel like I have a hard time kind of wavering off of Hellebuck for this Vezina. Now, I think the main argument is that it's it's not that Markstrom definitely deserves it over Hellebuck, it's that this is a lot closer than people think, because right now the assumption is that Rosk is the second runner-up, which... I, I think is pretty fair, um, but of course, Rosk plays behind a much better team than either Vancouver or Winnipeg. The Bruins generally do not give you many scoring opportunities, and when you do, you have to be really sharp and on it, because otherwise you're just not going to score, and this is something that's fairly consistent across their entire body of work. That is a tough team to beat, and I feel like Rosk, his numbers are definitely pretty sterling, but it's definitely helped by the fact that the Bruins just don't surrender as much as a lot of these other teams. Bishop maybe has a slightly stronger case in the sense that, you know, the Stars are maybe not as defensively well-rounded, but they're still a fairly strong team. You would easily take the defensive performances of either Dallas or Boston over what Vancouver and Winnipeg have accomplished. And I feel like Vancouver is just very odd when you look at the uh, the areas that they're giving up chances are the kinds that usually give goalies a lot of fits because of how close and how laterally they are which means that Markstrom would have to move post to post very quickly and cover very sharp angles. Those can be death if you've got a team that's very good on backdoor passing or cross-crease movement. I mean, all of that stuff, especially on the power play, is just lethal. So I, I could see Markstrom having a pretty decent argument here as, you know, not being a, a winner necessarily, but being a very close runner-up. If you're looking for something that is not quite as competitive, then look no further than Built Bar, which blows the competition of protein bars out of the water. Like Hellebuck and the rest of the field, Built Bar is a cut above the competition, featuring a protein bar that's soft, delectable, tasty, and good for you. Built Bar's got a whole host of flavors, many of which are actually nut-free, so if you've got nut allergens, Built Bar has your back. Some of their flavors that are my personal favorite include like a dark mint chocolate and a dark raspberry chocolate, both of which I thought were some of my favorites because I feel like sometimes, you know, when you get protein bars... Like, the fruit flavors are a little chemically, but these ones are actually really good. And I have to say that I was very surprised by the health uh, and nutrition facts, most of which are, you know, 150 calories or less. You're looking at maybe 5 grams of fat on the high end, which is pretty low for a protein bar, and around 30% of your daily protein intake. 
for a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, I, I really challenge you to find a protein bar that does more than what Built Bar offers for the same kind of value and nutritional punch. It also doesn't hurt that it tastes really, really good. And if you'd like to give it a shot, be sure to head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. For the rest of this episode, we're going to be doing the rest of our uh, 2020 NHL draft look. And tonight, we're going to take a look at a couple more prospects, possibly up to five. We'll see how many we get through. Um, and this is going off of Sportsnet's rankings. And if you missed the previous episode, be sure to check that out because I went through spots 15 to 20, which is roughly where Winnipeg might select Say if they get bounced, I think, out of the first uh, round-robin round or whatever it's called. And the first name on this list at 21 overall, based on where we left off, which was at Hendricks Lapierre. The next guy on the list is Jeremy Poirier, uh, another QMJHL defenseman from the St. John Sea Dogs. So, Jeremy is very interesting because the first thing that I saw with him is, this dude's kind of big, and he's a very mobile, active offensive defender who's kind of in the modern mold of most uh, OFD as far as we've seen. What will also jump off the page is that he's got like 20 goals this season and he has very strong skating that he can kind of glide in between defenders and essentially attack like a power forward or wing. I've also heard a couple of things about people criticizing his defensive coverage because I think what he tends to do is essentially look to cheat and aggressively move forward at all times. He's also very good at negotiating neutral zone transitions and essentially spearheading offensive zone entries. There's a lot of interesting tools here that I actually like a lot. Uh, Poirier definitely needs a lot of a lot of refinement because I feel like as far as his ability to transition into a more defensive posture and track back, that might be something that he needs to work on. But he's got a huge frame and he actually is capable of using his physicality to his advantage. He doesn't seem like he's particularly afraid to throw his weight around, and, like, this is a dude that you don't want to get touched by. I don't know if I have, like, an immediate comparable player, and I usually try not to do comparable play styles. Um, I guess I've, I've mentioned Nick Hag before. This is probably a guy who is more similar to Nick, but I feel like his stick handling and ability to essentially use a more deceptive release differentiates him from some of the other guys I've seen. He's not somebody who's like a raw power shooter, but he has an ability to essentially finesse goalkeepers and get guys looking on like bizarre elevated shots, um, very sharp angles, just a variety of different scoring tools that make him a more interesting prospect than I anticipated. I could see why people are a little bit nervous about drafting him highly. I think that a lot of guys have him ranked, you know, between 25 and 30 or so. Unlike a Paterka, I think that uh, Jeremy Poirier is more interesting to me because of his potential upside, and the raw tools are actually there for something to be, I, I don't know, an interesting top four attacking defender. If he works in his defensive game or is paired with somebody who helps him with those details more, he could be like a really dynamic force uh, at even strength or on the power play. Where I think he could definitely use work aside from his defensive awareness is probably, uh, I, I think, getting more used to his body size and essentially figuring out how to negotiate space at a pro level. Because sometimes I did notice that he was a little bit awkward and I could see that the stick handling, as tricky and smooth as it can be, he sometimes had issues, I don't know, fumbling around with it a little bit or, or getting used to it. So I feel like that is something that you might want to work on just a little bit more to get that extra amount of control to be really lethal and, and really strong on the puck when he gets to the NHL level, if that's what he becomes. 
The next guy on the list at 22nd overall is yet another German winger, and this one is Lukas Reichel. And Lukas is a fascinating player to me, another very interesting prospect, because when I watch his like initial highlights and check out some of the analysis and footage, this kid is a really smart, really uh, well, well-spatially aware and, and well-positioned player who just always seems to know where he needs to be whether he's parked off on the net front side, uh, off of a, a flank where he can make himself available for like a power play option, or cutting in the middle if he's you know part of an offensive charge through the uh, offensive zone and kind of cutting in, or if he needs to play a more flanking wide position and set his line mates up for an easy scoring chance. He's got very good vision, and he's got a nice shot, uh, very good positioning, but I thought what really surprised me was, aside from his very good acceleration and, and pretty good skating, I feel like he's got really smooth stick handling, and this is something that he's able to use with a slightly smaller frame to basically just cut between uh, defenders and squeeze into very tight spaces. Like, his hand-eye coordination is pretty filthy, and this is something that I, I don't know if people have really said a lot about this, but... I feel like he just has that very smooth control that lets him just carve between opponents and confidently engage one-on-one against opposing defenders or even more than one with relative ease. And this is the DEL he's playing in. Like, again, it's it's not the highest level of professional hockey, but these are adult men that he's facing as like a 17-year-old. Reichel is really, really, really intriguing because he's got a lot of really solid skills and some fantastic tools that I think are a little bit underappreciated. And if he actually works on honing those at a more mature level, he could be a really dangerous top six forward. The way that he's able to get in in front of the net and essentially score really dirty goals, but all of them with really high-level hand-eye coordination and his ability to essentially release pucks very quickly because he can essentially just map out where he wants to take his shot well in advance and actually has the physical strength to do it, especially with like a short time span to do it on like a lobbed feed or something, that's, that's very hard for somebody his age to pull off, and I saw him do it more than once. This kid could be a really, really well-rounded prospect and somebody who I would personally be very interested to see. Now, he is ranked a lot lower than where Sportsnet have him. I've seen him ranked like in the low uh, 40s, the low 30s, kind of all over. I, I think that that would be a mistake. I think he's a first-round prospect. I, I see some really interesting potential, even if you know there are still some things where he might not have like elite-level skills yet. He's just a very tenacious forward, and I feel like his brain works in the way that he could develop other physical tool sets and develop further skills that allow him to make use of his IQ, because I think I don't have any questions about his positioning or his ability to be uh, either like a catalyst or somebody who complements a line of play drivers to get them better scoring chances and essentially just be there for either a finisher, a poacher, or somebody who sets up that opportunity and, and gets some nice cross-seam distribution. I like his tools more than Paterka, and like Paterka is like a very physical driving forward with some good pace, but I think Reichel has that extra offensive edge and IQ to make him a really good, a really good potential scoring threat. Picking right up where we left off, we are at 23rd overall with Maverick Bork from the Shawinigan Cataracts. And Maverick is another interesting prospect. I've said that about the last couple of guys, but Maverick, again, I think this is where we're starting to find some interesting uh, punts on players who have some maybe some cosmetic issues, but demonstrate really good NHL caliber play. Now, Maverick, from what I could find on him, uh, he's... He's like a really calm, collected, and this is like some wording that people have used about him, calm, collected, cool center. Now, 
What I think is very interesting about Maverick is that his vision and his distribution are both like extremely on point. When he picks out uh, passing lanes on things like the power play or at even strength, he often goes to spaces where people aren't really covering or he'll actually go into like really dirty areas and make those really tough angle passes. His ability to kind of predict where his line mates are going to sort of drift into and then find and execute a nice pass for like a tipped assist or something like that is a sort of thoughtful, considerate play that you don't often see from teenagers or even early 20s players just because, I mean, this kind of stuff requires a lot of strategic thinking. Now, Maverick is somebody who actually does have pretty decent mobility but doesn't need to use it because he tries to predict where he needs to be at all times, and so his spatial awareness is at a high level. He's totally cool apparently doing more defensive stuff, which isn't really available on the footage, but everyone has described him as being a, a pretty tenacious back checker and somebody who tries to work on the defensive details and assist in uh, exit zone breakouts and different things like that from you know trying to generate play and getting it back up the ice so that he can show off his more offensive flair. Because of his skill and ability to sort of map out where he wants to be ahead of schedule, I tend to think that his highlights actually look more passive because he's already in position. He's just sort of drifting around patiently, very calmly looking for that one passing lane right to the net and waiting for the opportunity. When he actually does take a shot of himself, his release is pretty fast, and it's something that I feel like goaltenders had a lot of issues trying to deal with. For some reason, his shot, whether it's like a low, far corner shot or something between the pads, just seems to surprise goalkeepers. But this is the cue, so I'd be curious to know if that same kind of trait, especially through traffic, holds up at the pro level. This is a guy that I could just as easily see being like a second line center as somebody who really anchors your third or fourth line but I think that he has potential for something a little more interesting than, like, middle six duty. His brain definitely works at a pretty high level, and if he works further on his, uh, I guess, his offensive tools and maybe a little more deception to his game, something, you know, a little bit more flair to, to really beef up that, you know, strong foundation that he already has, he might be a very dangerous threat. Based on his existing scoring rates, you can already tell this dude is definitely offensively gifted. And, you know, it's just kind of finding that next gear and really adding a little bit more to his game. Because at the pro level, some of the stuff that he's able to do and the space that he has may not be as available. But it's definitely something that he's shown a propensity to try and create for himself, which is something that I personally like to see. The last guy on our list is going to be Jakob Perot, number 24th overall on Sportsnet's list. And this is a right winger out of Sarnia Sting. And I have to say that... I just love the package that Perot brings. This dude is like an offensive force to be reckoned with. He's fast, he's very intelligent, especially in the offensive zone, he's got great stick handling, and his shot is just absolutely menacing. His release is really explosive, really fast, and really, I, I don't know, it's just hard to read, and it's something that makes him a really complete attacking threat. I also noticed that his positioning in the offensive zone, especially when he needs to set up his line mates or kind of spearhead a charge himself, it's actually pretty good. You know, a lot of people were critical when Lani was drafted out of just being like a one-trick pony, but of course Lani actually was able to do a lot more in Liga and created a lot of space himself, which is something that he's shown more of as he's grown in the NHL. And this is something that Perot already seems to have. He's definitely fleet-footed and has that little bit of deceptive edge and just a nasty shot that forces defenders to try and second-guess which way he's going to pivot and shoot, which opens up offensive opportunities for his linemates as well because defenders then have to choose between him or his teammates. 
I would say that people have been very critical of his propensity for turnovers and his decision-making, as well as his defensive back-checking and stuff, which is not very surprising for somebody of his kind of player type. And to be honest, it's not something that I particularly worry about. I mean, it's probably not going to be like Kyle Connor bad in terms of defensive value, right? So you don't want him just sort of drifting around and waiting to cheat for that, you know, neutral zone fly into the offensive zone. But you know, if he's not exactly the most defensively stout attacker, that's not the worst thing. I mean, it's definitely something that you'll have to watch out for from time to time. And you're probably not putting him on the penalty kill. But this is a kid with so much offensive upside that I think you just have to take the gamble and see what happens. Some scouting services actually have him uh, above uh, spot 20, so this one actually is more in line with some of the more conservative estimates, but I really like the tool sets and skills that Perot has. He has a lot of offensive flair, and that's not always something that you can find, especially on boomer bust prospects. You can kind of work on his defensive commitment and, and to some degree his awareness, although uh, you know some of that IQ stuff is a little bit uh, something that you can't necessarily train, but... I think that there's enough there on the offensive side of things that you absolutely take a late round pick if he's still available. With that, I'm going to pause the rest of our draft coverage until the next episode. I believe we should have a double upload tomorrow, which would be fun. And uh, we'll probably get into the end of the first round and into the second round as well, because the Jets are probably going to have uh, some picks in that round as well. And we'll start off the back half again, because I think it's uh, it should be the same spot, roughly speaking, where the Jets are going to choose. So... I thank you guys so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On NHL National Show with Sarah Avampado. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!